The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. The scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 35. Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it, to his destruction." Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the, from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me, and they say, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. 
my name is Justin Curtis. For those of you who are newer to our community, um, I serve as one of the pastors here. I was realizing even this morning that this month marks 14 years on staff for me and, and 12 years serving as a pastor. So I'm grateful to be up here, uh, privileged to be able to open the word and to preach Psalm 35. Now, before we do a deep dive into Psalm 35, I do want to give a specific invitation to a select few of you that really all of us should care about. Uh, and the invitation is this. Later this summer, uh, the weekend of August 5th and 6th, we are hosting for the fourth consecutive year our annual catechism retreat. Uh, this overnight retreat is a rite of passage experience for our incoming sixth graders and for one of their parents to join them as well. Uh, we desire to help parents and students at this stage of life make the transition uh, from childhood into adolescence and from our catechism class into our student ministry. And we want to look back and we want to celebrate all the goodness that comes with childhood and, and look ahead with vision into all of the opportunities that come with the adolescent years. So if you are a parent who has a child who is in the fifth grade moving into the sixth grade, uh, I want to specifically invite you to sign up for the catechism retreat. All the information about registration and all the details will be in the weekly update that gets sent to your email inbox tomorrow. So if you haven't signed up for that, uh, do so. And please sign up. Please sign up quickly so we can plan accordingly. Uh, and if you do have any questions about that retreat, feel free to let me no. All right. Uh, now, like I said, that is an invitation to a limited number of you, but it's something that we should all care about and be praying for, right? Because a church family that cares about making disciples of each and every generation uh, needs to lock arms in support of those who are going into and going through the middle school and the high school years. Because as most of you know, as the world opens up to our children who are moving through adolescence, what they find is that being a Jesus-following, gospel-loving Christian is at times hard. It is. It's hard. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but the Christian life is not always the easy life. It doesn't matter how old you are. Being a Christian is at times hard. Why does it feel hard to be a Christian? It's hard because of the reality of our sin, right, in our own lives and sin in the people who are around us. It's hard because sometimes our family and friends think we're crazy. It's hard because now and again our souls feel discouraged and defeated, confused and unsure. And like Psalm 35 is going to show us this morning, it's hard because we have enemies. I genuinely appreciated how uh, Pastor Bob Thune uh, exhorted those who were baptized this spring during our Holy Saturday baptism celebration. After each and every one of those who were baptized had the opportunity to publicly profess their faith, they stepped into the tank of water, uh, they were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. After all of the testimonies and after all of the celebration, Pastor Bob looked at them and said something along these lines. He said, from this day forward, you are going to experience joy and hope and gladness. You are going to feel secure in your love for God and in God's love for you. Grace and truth and forgiveness will mark your days, and the gospel for you will be a treasure. And from this day forward, you will experience struggle, and you will experience doubt. 
Rather than feeling secure in your love, you will question if you are lovable or even capable of love. Your soul will feel defeated at times, discouraged, your mind confused and unsure, and that's why you need to remember the day of your baptism. Because whether you're feeling the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, that day signifies that you are his and that he is yours. Now, I'm paraphrasing quite a bit there, right? But you can see the idea. The Christian life is not always butterflies and flowers, right? Sometimes it's hard, and that's why we need scripture like Psalm 35. While some of the Psalms are prayers of praise, prayers of thanksgiving, Psalm 35 would be considered to be on the other side of the emotional spectrum. Uh, it doesn't quite feel uh, like this image captures, like a, a great spring day. Um, rather, Psalm 35 is an imprecatory psalm. Uh, it's David's cry when he is in great distress and he has no one to turn to other than God. The imprecatory psalms are psalms in which the author is complaining about and calls for the destruction or the judgment of his enemies. Psalm 35, verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Psalm 35 starts, like many imprecatory psalms, with a plea for God's help. It moves forward with complaints. It fills up with curses. And it ends with confidence in God's response. But really what Psalm 35 shows us is two things that each and every one of us need if we're going to navigate this thing called life. With all its trials, with all its challenges, with all its hardships, because life is hard, you need to be aware of your enemy and you need to be assured of your victory. I'll say it again. Because life is hard, you need to be aware of your enemy and you need to be assured of your victory. How many of you are familiar with the book, The Art of War? Uh, it's a book that was written a long time ago. Uh, it's an ancient Chinese military treatise that date ba dates back to roughly 5th century BC. That's like 500 years before the birth of Christ. In this book, each chapter is devoted to a different set of skills related to warfare and military strategy. Today, that book has, still has significant influence on military strategy, as well as business tactics, uh, law, lifestyles beyond. Even the winningest Super Bowl coach in NFL history, Bill Belichick, uh, keeps a copy of this book in his office, right? In that book, the author states this. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. You need to be aware of your enemy. King David was very aware of his enemies. King David was aware of his scheming enemies, 
how they were plotting against him. Again, Psalm 35, verse 4. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Verse 7. For without cause, they hid their net for me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. King David was aware of his mobbing enemies, how they gathered together to rejoice at his downfall. Verse 11, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. Verses 15 and 16, but at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. David was aware of his gloating enemies and how they boasted at his sufferings. Verses 19 through 21. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me and say, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. Verses 25 and 26. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. David is aware of his enemies because he can feel them pressing in on him. This is not mere philosophical or theoretical understanding. This is the genuine experience of one who knows he is in a fight, that he is hated by those who desire to see him fall, who desire to see him buckle under the pressure, who desire to see him swallowed up and destroyed. David is aware of his enemies because he can feel them deep down in his bones. David is aware of his enemies because he knows he's in a fight. Are you aware of your enemy? Do you feel the opposition? You should because you too have an enemy who seeks to kill and destroy, an enemy who strives to accuse you and deceive you. The Apostle Paul helps us to be aware of our enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying, what has been supported by classic, historic, Christian theology throughout the centuries, is that ultimately your enemies are not flesh and blood, but that your enemies are cosmic powers over this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
That's why the Christian life is such a struggle. The reason why it is hard is because you are in a spiritual conflict between good and evil, between darkness and light, spiritual conflict against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, I know that a modern, scientific, rational worldview does not leave much room for the spiritual, but it doesn't take too many headlines to realize that there is something deeply wrong with the world that cannot be solved by human innovation and advancement. I mean, just last month, from this very pulpit, three weeks in a row, we prayed prayers of lament and brokenness because of shootings that had happened in our country. There is something wrong And that something wrong is spiritual conflict. And it runs right through the heart of you and I. There is spiritual conflict within us. We live with indwelling sin. There is darkness that lingers in our hearts. We experience temptation, discouragement, and sin because of the conflict that is within us. For those of you, men and women, who struggle with pornography. For those of you who are gripped by fear and anxiety. For those of you who have persistent struggles and nagging doubts about God's love for you. Be aware of your enemy. Be aware of how you're vulnerable towards particular sins and particular sin patterns. Be aware of how you're tempted. Be aware of how you are accused and what form those accusations take. Be aware of spiritual discouragement and despair because the enemy creates conflict within you. Right? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 7, verse 19, when he says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep doing. He's putting language to what we experience in terms of our own inner spiritual conflict. But not only is the spiritual conflict within us, it's also at play all around us. Being a Christian puts you at odds against the world. And not the dirt and the rock that we live on, but the systems and philosophies of this world that oppose God and that oppose his gospel. And these things have always been at play. It's not as though the people of God are facing a new adversary with this surge of pride and humanism and greed and individualism. There have always been cosmic forces. There have always been enemies opposed to God and his gospel. Sometimes it's just easier to see him at play. Sometimes it's easier easier to feel the pressure of their opposition. Those of you who've uh, listened to me preach over the years, you know so far this year I have not hit my quota in terms of Chronicles of Narnia illustrations. (laughs) I'm here to remedy that. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series, there's a book called The Silver Chair, 
Um, in that book, Jill and Eustace, along with a marsh wiggle named Puddleglum, leave the land of Narnia, which symbolizes God's land under God's rule, to go to the underworld to rescue Prince Rillian. And they find many adversaries along this journey who are enchanted by the Emerald Lady, who is really a witch and ultimately the true enemy. Near the end of the story, Jill and Eustace and Puddleglum, they find Prince Rillian and they're about to escape from the underworld when they cross paths with the Emerald Lady. She throws some green powder onto a fire and that produces a sweet and drowsy spell and she begins to strum an instrument. And the combination of the incense and her strumming make it hard to think. And the longer that it went on, the less they noticed it. And they became overcome by the witch's sweet and gentle lies. There is no Narnia, she would say. There is no Aslan. There are no stars. There is no sky. There is no sun. There is no light. Just the underworld and the darkness. Any thought that you may have of another world, any longings for light and goodness and righteousness and love are mere dreams and childish games. They all nearly succumb to the witch's seduction and her spiritual powers of evil until Puddleglum, the marsh wiggle, takes his rather large foot and finds with him the sobriety and the courage to stomp out the fire, to resist the enchantment. And he speaks courageous words about truth and beauty in Narnia. And rather than incense, what begins to fill the room is, is the smell of a, of a burnt marsh wiggle's foot, which uniquely indicates that oftentimes what awakens us to the reality of spiritual forces is the, is the persecution on God's people. The children are brought out of the spell and immediately the Emerald Lady transforms into a large green snake. There's a quick, decisive battle. The snake is killed and the entire underworld is released from her power. Light begins to break through. The spell is broken. Adversaries become allies. The cosmic powers that were ruling over the present darkness at that time were disarmed and triumphed over, and the underworld began to crumble in on itself. Now keep in mind, this is a story, a symbolic story written by C.S. Lewis, who was a British man writing this story after World War II, after he had already fought in the trenches of World War I. He faced true enemies of war. But he realized that ultimately we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The world that you find yourself living in will try to speak sweet and gentle lies over you, attempting to deceive you into thinking that life without God is a better way to live. 
that what we are giving ourselves to each and every Sunday when we come together are mere dreams and childish games for the week. Don't succumb to it. Because life is hard, if you are going to live a faithful and a fruitful Christian life, you need to be aware of your enemy. But not only that, you need to be assured of your victory. You need to be assured of your victory. King David in Psalm 35 is overwhelmed by his enemies. He is crying out to God for help, for deliverance, for salvation. Again, Psalm 35, verses four through six. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Verse 17, how long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Verse 22, you have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Again, let's pick up the themes here. Verse 26, let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. You can hear it in his voice and the translators reinforce it with the amount of exclamation points that are in Psalm 35. King David ruled over Israel and cried out to God for vindication and for victory. King Jesus is a truer and better King David who rules over the kingdom of God as the Son of God and who came as God's vindication to give God's people victory. If you trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ this morning, in the face of your enemies, you can be assured of your victory. Hear the good news of the gospel, friends especially those of you who resonate with David's cry of how long, O Lord, how long rebellion against God has a shelf life. It will not last forever. Jesus came into this world of darkness to bring light. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself and did not sin. Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross to make a way for those who were once his enemies to become his friends by forgiving, by providing a way of victory, by providing victory over the power of sin. Jesus was buried and rose again three days later to give you victory over death. Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated now at the right hand of the Father to inaugurate his kingdom and to publicly establish his victory over all the cosmic powers of this present darkness and of all the spiritual forces of evil. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news about his victory. And you can be assured of your victory by placing your faith in him. For those of you who have never done that, you can experience victory right now. You can experience victory right now over your enemies in this moment by trusting in him for salvation. And for those of you who have received Jesus by faith, sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. The enemies of God, the enemies of God's people, hate and the source of hate, jealousy and the source behind jealousy, rebellion against God and all the source of rebellion against God, they've lost their power and they're being swallowed up. I love how Dane Ortland says this in his devotional book on the Psalms. He says this, and we wage this war in Jesus' name. That is, we fight off the temptations and assaults of hell with the weapons of the gospel in the glad knowledge that God has once and for all emptied hell of its weapons and of accusation and condemnation. Get this, David prays of his enemies, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor. And the apostle Paul said of Christ, he disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Our enemies have been defanged. They are now all gums and no bite. Christ on the cross absorbed the shame we deserve to free us from it. Truly great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. The great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther once wrote in a letter to a friend of his, a dear friend of his, Jerome Welter, who was struggling with spiritual despair. In July 1530, Luther encouraged Jerome with these words. And hear this, for those of you who feel the opposition of spiritual despair in your bones, who feel the fight of spiritual discouragement, Luther said these words. Excellent Jerome, you ought to rejoice in this temptation of the devil because it is a certain sign that God is merciful to you. You say the temptation is heavier than you can bear and that you fear that it will, be, that it will so break and beat you down as to drive you to despair and blasphemy. I know this while of the devil. If he cannot break a person with his first attack, he tries by persevering to wear him out and weaken him until the person falls and confesses himself beaten. Whenever this temptation comes to you, avoid entering upon a debate with the devil and not allow yourself to dwell on those deadly thoughts, for to do so is nothing short of yielding to the devil and letting him have his way. When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. Yours, Martin Luther. Christian discipleship is going to be hard, friends. 
it is not all butterflies and flowers. That's why Psalm 35 is in the Bible. It's there to remind you of your need to be aware of your enemy. It's there to give you language to cry out to God when you feel the opposition, when you feel the fight waging within you and against you. And it's there to give you confidence that you now on this side of the cross can rest in Jesus's deliverance, his vindication, and his victory. And what happens when God's people, when they find rest in God's deliverance, when they find rest in God's victory through Jesus Christ? Joy, gladness, testimony, worship. That's how God's people respond. Verse 27 and 28. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Let's pray that God would give us that joy and that desire for worship. King Jesus, because of the victory you won on the cross, our enemy knows his time is short and he is filled with fury. En route to his sure demise, he will continue to ramp up his seducing, tempting, and deceiving ways at every opportunity he gets. Help us to be aware of our enemy and assured of our victory. We do our best to fight the good fight of faith when we are most fully believing the gospel. So, Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you. Only the gospel frees us to see our own sin, our own weaknesses, and our own vulnerabilities that we have to the enemy's schemes. Help us to see it. We need the gospel today more than ever. And Holy Spirit, Give us the strength to resist the enemy's deceitful and destructive ways. Remind us that although the enemy can accuse us, he can never condemn us because Jesus was victorious in our place. Set our eyes on Jesus and assure us of the victory that we have in him. And we pray this in his powerful, triumphant, and victorious name. Amen.